Hi, I'm Cammie Donaldson, your host for Go Native, the Business of Native Plants, a program of the Native Plant Horticulture Foundation. In this episode, we talk with Danny Perkins, owner of Perkins Direct Step, Perkins Nursery in LaBelle, Florida. When Danny left the military in 1977, he was looking for what to do next. His father reminded him how they had grown plants when Danny was a child and asked him if there was anything about that experience that Danny enjoyed. Danny agreed that he enjoyed everything except the weeding, but together they started a nursery. A hard worker always looking for opportunity, Danny found it in native plants. In particular, he has achieved great success growing Saranoa repens, saw palmetto, a native shrub palm once largely ignored and often removed, but now widely valued for pollinator and wildlife habitat, for sustainable landscaping, and for medicinal use. So Danny, you came out of the military in the late 70s. And you came back and you were exploring career opportunities. And your father had had a plant nursery kind of on the side as a hobby. And he persuaded you to get into that as a self-employment entrepreneurial opportunity. And what kind of plants were you all growing at that time? He was uh, mostly doing propagation of various tropical plants not necessarily native at that time, you know, house plants were the big thing back in the 70s and 60s when I was growing up. So you started with your dad with the house plants or mostly house plants and tropicals. At what point did a native plant enter the arena and why? Well, in 77, we started again, we started with house plants then because that's what he knew and I, I had learned a lot about. But after the first year, the first winter that came along, we got enough cold, something you have to deal with, depending on where you are. We were just out in the open and we got a hard freeze that winter and it killed most of our plants. So I, in the meantime, while living here in LaBelle, I met some people that worked for a large land company to 300,000 acres in Glades County, and they invited me to harvest native plants if I wanted to. Of course, I would have to pay for them, and, uh, but then I pursued the market on it. I investigated to see if there was a demand for it, and, and there was, but it was little. The demand was more so for us to, at that time, more so for the exotics, because that's what everybody knew. So I got into harvesting, or we did, harvesting the, the wax myrtle and the pine trees, South Florida slash pine. We did a little bit of oaks and Gordonia, Lysianthus, the uh, Loblolly Bay. So we started harvesting those and stockpiling some in the nursery. Slowly, I started finding uh, a market for them. And then the market slowly grew for us. And by early 80s anyway, probably 81, 82, we were shipping uh, approximately 
a hundred wax myrtle trees a week. That was phenomenal back then. I mean, that was big business. And and then the pine trees slowly got bigger with us. So that's the two plants that I concentrated on. We enjoyed it. We had some good times back then, and it was great being out in the wild. Danny, who was buying those wax myrtles and pines at that time? Who was the customer? I started meeting some landscapers through my travels in the state, and especially in particular South Florida. I kind of sort of convinced them to try some of the native trees, the pine trees and the wax myrtle. And the, after they tried it a few times, convinced their uh, customer base, you know, the developers to try it, they started liking it because, uh, you know, back then palm trees were a big thing, but exotic trees, uh, shrubs that can grow profusely really big and uh, get out of hand and took a lot of care. They really liked the idea Back in the early 80s, they liked the idea of native plants, and they didn't have to do much with them. Well, that is terrific. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that you had that positive reception in the early 80s. When did you start getting into saw palmetto, and why? Well, that's interesting. (laughs) The short story is that we wanted to expand a little bit, so we purchased a small piece of land joining our nursery to give us more room for bringing in the the native trees we were collecting. And that property was covered in palmetto. So we decided, you know, now's the time to try to do something with this native palm. So we collected some specimens, I mean, large specimens, you know, anywhere from four to six, seven foot in clumps that were on the property that we were able to get. And we probably collected uh, at least 150 or 200. It's hard to remember the number, but we collected them and set them on the property and then clear dressed the land for nursery. At that time, we were getting into, the industry was getting into uh, shrink wrap for the root balls. So that helped a lot so we could take and set the root balls right on the ground without them rooting in and then going back into shock because like most trees, you know, they're subject to go into shock. Not all of them, but some of them will. I had a line on some architects that were coming to us selecting out pine trees and, and myrtle, wax myrtle for their jobs. And I had this particular architect came down in 1983, late 1983. I remember it well. And he come down specifically to tag some wax myrtle and pine trees for uh, a job up in Tampa. So what we did was uh, we're walking around and he's tagging trees and, uh, and he noticed a clump of gnarly looking stuff over to the side and he asked me what it was and I was embarrassed because the weeds had overtaken them somewhat. Fortunately, recently we had just mowed in between them. So you could make out some, but he he was quite interested in them. And that turned out to be our first sale of salt palmetto. They had been sitting there about a year and regenerated. And uh, so it was probably summer of, of 84 when those went to the first job. And the rest is history. Sal Palmetto is now a 
very widely used, I would say, shrub palm in Florida and other states. It is. Uh, we built ourselves up. We, we did the collections first, harvesting. That's how we learned about palmetto in the first place, which was wound up being a good way to do it. But it's very difficult to handle the collected ones without heavy machinery, you know, to handle the weight of the natural soil weight. So we slowly developed germination of seeds and uh, from the salt palmetto and learned how to germinate them, when is best time to harvest them, and so on and so forth. That really began a new a new start for us on salt palmetto and helped us increase our numbers dramatically. Can you characterize for us the size of your business over time? Oh, yes. I was assigned a task with a lot of the customer base to please be present when they handled these bald and burlap uh, plants that we harvested. That kind of got difficult for me as well as a challenge for them and an extra cost for me as well as them. So to see by then, by the late 80s, we were getting into the seed production pretty well. So slowly the customer base switched over that automatically because, or naturally in a way, because of the expense of what they had to go through to set these big plants. So our seed production kept growing, and in the late 80s, our sales for Palmetto was literally doubling or more every year from the late 80s. And by the early 90s, we had developed a $10 million inventory of salt Palmetto. We really went after it. And uh, to get back to the part where I said I hold my dad responsible for us being in Palmetto, Little did I realize that he told me, he said, son, that's going to be a big plant one day. That was back in 1984, you know, of course. And and then it turned into a $10 million inventory for him. I, I just couldn't believe it. So, but I saw it. We did it. I feel very blessed and happy with what we did and what we learned. We really learned what we were doing, the demand for the native plants out there. So by the late 90s, we trickled down and, and retracted from uh, harvesting native plants and just went to seed grown containers. And we were actually growing them all the way up to 200 gallons. Wow. So in the late 90s, you converted to pretty much entirely seed grown palmetto in containers. Yes, yes. Yes. I want to compliment your dad for having that insight about the Palmetto in 1984, because I remember in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was just learning about all of this stuff, salt palmetto was uh, definitely an underloved plant. I mean, um, a lot of uh, old-time Floridians didn't see it as a landscape plant, saw it as something to be cleared. It just wasn't appreciated. A lot of people would move here and think it was just a something that would bring palmetto bugs. <laughs> so that was very uh, much foresight on his part. And was he thinking about it in terms of sustainable landscape use, or did he have insight into the medicinal value or both? Well, medicinal didn't come into play until actually 1998. But prior to that, 
our thoughts was just primarily trying to get native plants in the industry because they were easier for us to deal with other than the weeds, <laughs> you know, like all plants, exotics included. But uh, native plants, they, you know, once you got them going, they sustain themselves. So it didn't require much fertilizing and especially the pesticide treatment. A little bit, but uh, because when you're in a nursery condition, you can't get away from it entirely, but you can really cut way down on it. So it helped us a lot. So Danny, originally house plants from house plants to myrtles and pines, then the soft palmetto came along. You do now only cold hardy palms, right? Soft palmetto and other palms. Right at the moment and for the last decade, we've only been producing three varieties of native plants. And uh, of course, salt palmetto, as well as the zamia, floridana, or the kunti, and of course, the needle palm, the rapidophyllum. Yes. I'm pretty certain that the rapidophyllum is recognized as the most cold hardy palm in the world, which happens to be native right here in the southeastern U.S., we harvest our seeds every year when they're available. They don't produce every year, but we we harvest them in uh, in Alabama, Florida. There are native stands, native uh, colonies of them, but they're protected in Florida, so we can't harvest the seeds here. But those three plants is what we've been very successful at. Can you give the audience a insight into how many plants a year you all produced? We've moved in excess of 50,000 three-gallon palmetto a year of one color. And then the other color, you know, we do both the uh, silver and the green. And then the other one, the numbers wouldn't be that far off. And they change back and forth. The, the demand for the silver and or the green in three-gallon, which is the number one size to be used in the landscape, We've moved a lot of plants. What we maintain, I, I never look at the uh, numbers of plants, just a value, the value of the inventory. You know, we maintain for a number of uh, quite a few years, probably at least 15 years, maybe a little more of $10 million inventory of just palmetto. Later on, the, the needle palm and the kunti came along and it, it's all market demand, but my opinion on salt palmetto, I think the demand for salt palmetto is, uh, can at least double what I've done. I, I certainly do with the things going on and the demand for all natives coming along today. I'm very, very happy with the, the industry, uh, how they're, they're uh, switching over to natives more and more. We all like some exotics, you know, little something that we can kill in our homes or something. But <laughs> but the natives are, are awesome. There's untouched markets out there. To, I've done a little bit of the West Coast and Northeast up in, or Northwest rather. We've even had palmetto on sets of uh, movies up in British Columbia. I mean, it's it's been fascinating. It's been fun. I've messed with the pharmaceutical industry with it a little bit. And I'm still doing a lot of that and a lot of consulting. Talk about that a little bit, how the whole salt palmetto as a medicinal, when that started and how that has changed the industry. Well, I got involved in that end of it in 1998. 
it was getting to the point where they were challenging me on uh, getting my seeds, in particular the silver seeds. And when you say they were challenging, who do you mean? Explain that. The demand from the medicinal industry. And uh, they would, they use the salpometa barrier fruit for prostrate enlargement. What they do is they bring it in, they dry it, and they store it for the customer base, which has been primarily in Europe, but now it's growing all over the world. I mean, China, Russia, just about everywhere in the world, you know, they're using this soil from the seed, rather. So what they do is uh, the demand. I remember in 1988, I started getting involved because I wanted to learn about what this is all about. I followed it closely with a couple of people just south of me here at LaBelle, uh, two of the processing plants, and I learned them, and they were okay. They were generous enough to speak to me about it. And one of them eventually invited me and Debbie into my wife into uh, investing into expanding their operation. They wanted to put in an ex extract plant, a supercritical CO2 extract plant to extract the oil from the dried berries. So we did invest into that in, in 2006. And then I learned even more. And uh, so as I'm still learning Palmetto and everything about it, all of a sudden, I'm getting all these pharmaceutical companies visiting my nursery. And then the next thing I know is uh, they want to put in plantations of them. Because by then, the, the price of the berries were getting expensive. I mean, there's rumors that they were up 6 $7 a pound. But I can verify that it hit $5 a pound for, for fresh palmetto berries. In 99, 2000, that's what prompted me because I saw the demand growing in the salt palmetto berries. I said, well, if I'm ever going to grow silver in this industry, I'm going to have to plant my own seed bank. And I did. And today, that's where all my palmetto silver come from is, is from my own seed bank. That's where I get my starts. And I'm, I'm so happy I did. I had friends saying, you know, one of these days, you know, we look at this as going to be a big plant one day, so you should you should plant your own plantation. And uh, and I took that advice. I realized, you know, they're right, by golly. i got to, you know, stand up for what I do. So because the demand for palmetto berries in around 2000 was in a neighborhood of 35 to 40 million pounds of fresh berries a year. In the last couple of years, we've realized that demand is in excess of 60 million pounds of berries a year. So getting silver is next to impossible. But um, the green, you've got to watch buying the green. I just buy the green seeds from the harvesters. But what I do is I only I approach them in where they're harvesting on the west coast of Florida so they won't be hybridized with the silver on the East Coast. And uh, because the palmetto will hybridize right now, and and when I was part of a study with the with UF back in around 2000, there was a lot going on back then, we identified 73 pollinators 
Curtisol Palmetto breach. You get all this knowledge and understanding of what's going on out there for this plant, this lowly planet, as it was always referred to. It's remarkable what you got to do to get green and silver. Just like any other plant that can cross-pollinate, it's painstaking to stay with uh, silver. And, and that's what I, because of all the things that I did, that's why I have uh, a select silver now. My silver, when, when customer base calls for silver, I have silver. Well, Danny, looking back at your career in the horticulture and landscape industry, what are things that you know now that you wish you had known when you started? I wish I would have started with seed first. Harvesting the wild ones was a lot of work, painstaking. I think I would have been further ahead a lot sooner had I started with seed. I think seed is the way to go. Collecting them is is not, by no means, collections should be uh, terminated uh, because, you know, there's so many uses for the palmetto because of the, the actual character of it growing prostrate along the ground. Uh, architects have used to come out and tagged the ones rather that were laying out over the pot because they wanted to put it in a, a pool situation or a botanical garden or something where the rhizomes were laying way out and then shooting back up already. They love that, but that <laughs> that's quite expensive. So you wish you had started from seed. Did you buy your land to start with or were you fortunate to come into family land or how did you manage to get the assets you need to run a nursery uh, growing up in west palm we back all my life we had family in labelle my dad's brother and and his family all my cousins they lived here we would travel over here sometimes on weekends to visit them and then my my dad's brother, he decided to purchase a 20-acre piece of land to an area out in the woods that he wanted to move to, and uh, which only had a trail going at, to it at the time, back in the, in the early 60s. So he managed to talk my dad into buying a 10-acre piece next to him. While I was in the military, I, I got a, quite a large uh, reenlistment bonus to take a few more years for the mission I was at, it was during the Vietnam era. So uh, my MOS was in hot demand. And uh, so they needed us and uh, and I was honored to do it. So I took that bonus and purchased some land, you know, right up the street from my father's land. So when we decided to go in, the shorter along is that when we decided to go into the nursery business, you obviously have to have land for it. And uh, we already had that at great expense behind us. I came straight to LaBelle from the military and got started. What would you advise a young person or someone getting into this industry? What pitfalls have you encountered that possibly someone else could avoid or really key skills or knowledge areas that they need to develop? Well, your heart's got to be in it. If you don't like what you're doing, like any business, it's going to be hard to be successful at it. You can go into it for the money. Uh, we're, we've been quite successful as so many other nurseries. Uh, 
And I'm very happy to see native nurseries becoming successful today because the demand is really growing for various reasons. But regardless of the education you have, be prepared to get educated again with plants because they're going to teach you something. They're going to keep you in tune with nature. It's best to learn to deal with nature and not fight her. Excess rain, not enough rain, a lot of pest problems. We're getting new exotic pests introduced to the state all the time. Training and uh, chemical control, you don't want to go overboard on that at all, but you need to be aware and not just use something you don't really know what it does. There's a lot of education process in growing plants, and it's a tremendous amount of work. And for God's sakes, don't forget the weed control. (laughs) <laughs> never get away from those weeds <laughs> are there any big mistakes that you've made that you've learned from that could be something that someone else might make you know just kind of that you're willing to reveal <laughs> well no i've made a lot of mistakes and uh one avenue of mistakes is decide what to grow because the thing about agriculture, you've got to really research the market. You've got to uh, get in the market, educate yourself with the, you know, any any facet of education you can get from the industry that we're all pulling together to educate others. Decide which plant to grow can be a, it can be a great success or it can be a total failure. So you have to know all around you, your everything about it, everything that affects your industry, the economy, the weather where you're at, the the new pests that's coming along, various things. So, uh, yes, I made a lot of mistakes in growing different things that I just couldn't create a market for. And uh, I still think they're ahead in the future of some of the other natives I tried and I see some people coming forward with them now, and I'm happy to see that. It's a huge education process. All right. Any other tips or insights you'd like to share? Advice to the budding nursery person? <laughs> well, I always welcome uh, anybody that you know that wants to ask me questions about growing native plants. I've had a lot of experience with not just what I do today, but 46 years of trial on other plants, there's a lot to learn. There's a tremendous amount to learn. So learn everything about a particular plant. And uh, I think one of your biggest things in success is is, uh, learn it, be the best at it, be successful. I love what I do. I love the industry of plant growers. I've done it all. I've done landscaping installation. I've done collections of native plants. I have done propagation, which is something I did early on uh, being the oldest sibling in my family. I was stuck doing the uh, weeding for my daddy's hobby. So (laughs) that's one of the bad parts of it. But uh, other than that, you know, all of it's terrific. Thank you for listening to Go Native, the Business of Native Plants, a podcast from the Native Plant Horticulture Foundation. If you're interested in working with native plants or simply want to see the native plant industry grow and thrive, 
please visit our website, nativeplantport.org, where you can learn more about our work and support us.